ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد سبناو ان الحديث اب ابن عمر رضي الله عنهما أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم كان يرفع يده حظو منكبي إذا افتتح الصلاة وإذا كبر للركوع وإذا رفع رأسه من الركوع متفق عليه In this hadith of Ibn Umar رضي الله عنهما He says that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم used to raise his hands to the level of his shoulders when he opened the prayer when he started the prayer meaning when you make your takbir at the beginning Allahu Akbar that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam used to raise his hands up to his shoulders wa idha kabbara lirruku' and also when he made the takbir to go into ruku' when he made the takbir to go into ruku' Then upon saying that takbir, also the Prophet ﷺ would raise his hands. وَإِذَا رَفَعَ رَأْسَهُ مِنَ الرُّكُوعِ And when he would raise up from the ruku' then similarly again he would raise his hands. That is a hadith in Al-Bukhari and Muslim. That when the Prophet ﷺ would begin the prayer in the opening takbir, Allahu Akbar, he would raise his hands up to his shoulders. And also, when going into the ruku' when you say Allahu Akbar to go into ruku' then that also at that point he would raise his hands. And when coming out of the ruku' Allahu liman hamida, then he would raise his hands again. Then in the next hadith, fi hadith Abi Humayd, inda Abi Dawood, يرفع يديه حتى يحاضي بهما منكبي ثم يكبر In this hadith it says similarly that the Prophet وسلم, would raise his hands until they were level to his shoulders then after that he would make the takbir that he would raise his hands first then say Allahu Akbar in the third hadith, وَلِمُسْلِمْ عَنْ مَالِكْ إِبْنِ الْحَوَيْرِثِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ نَحْوَ إِبْنِ عُمَرِ In the hadith that is in Muslim, from Malik ibn al-Hawayrith, رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ It is similar to the hadith of Ibn Umar, that the Prophet ﷺ used to raise his hands in the opening takbir, and also raise his hands when doing the takbir to go into ruku'ah, and also when coming out of the ruku' same is mentioned in the hadith of Malik ibn al-Hawayrith radiyallahu anhu in Muslim. Walakin qal, however he said in this version of the narration, حَتَّى يُحَاذِيَ بِهِمَا فُرُوعَ أُذُنَيْهِ That the Prophet wasallam used to raise his hands until they were equal level to the edges of his ears, the earlobes, until they were level to his earlobes. 
These three hadith then, they are talking about now one of the sunnah acts of the prayer. These three narrations are talking about one of the sunnah acts of the prayer. فَقَدْ جَاءَ فِي هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ رَفْعُ الْيَدَيْنِ فِي ثَلَاثَةِ مَوَاضِعِ In this hadith or in these narrations altogether, three places in the prayer have been mentioned where a person is supposed to raise his hands. رَفْعُ الْيَدَيْنِ To raise the hands in three places in the prayer according to these narrations so far. The first place where a person raises his hands is the opening takbir. When you're going to start the prayer, Allahu Akbar, raise the hands at that point. The second one that is mentioned is, when you finish the Fatiha, Waladhalin, Ameen, and you've recited another surah, then when you finish that recitation and you want to go into the ruku'ah, you say Allahu Akbar and also raise your hands then. Raise the hands then when saying the takbir to go into the ruku'ah. And the third place that is mentioned to raise the hands is when a person comes out of the ruku'ah. When you come out of the ruku'ah, Sami'ullahu liman hamidah, then at that point also there is the raising of the hands. So these three have been mentioned in these narrations that it is sunnah to raise your hands in those locations in the prayer. This act is a sunnah act of the prayer. And you recall that we said right at the beginning, when we spoke about the description of the Prophet's prayer, right at the beginning we mentioned that there are two descriptions of the Prophet's prayer. There is the perfect and complete description of the Prophet's prayer. And that is when an individual performs all of the pillars, the arkan, all of the obligations, the wajibat, and the sunan, the sunnah acts. Once a person performs all of those, then he is praying upon the accurate and complete description of the Prophet's prayer. If, however, an individual was to leave out these sunan acts, and he only performed the pillars, the arkan, and the wajibat, the obligations, but he left out the sunnah acts, the prayer would still be okay. His prayer would be acceptable. However, that manner of praying now would be a deficient description of the Prophet's prayer. That isn't the complete and perfect way that the Prophet's prayer is described. If somebody misses the sunnah acts out. So even though if a person did miss them out, the prayer would be acceptable, it wouldn't be upon the perfect and complete description of the Prophet's prayer. So these are some of those sunnah acts, raising the hands with the takbir, they are from the sunnah acts. Meaning if an individual didn't do them, the prayer would still be acceptable. But as we said, it would not be on the perfect and complete description of the Prophet's prayer if he decided to leave the raising of the hands in these places. So, 
In the opening narration it was mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ would raise his hands until they were equal to his shoulders. He would raise them until they were equal to his shoulders. And that the palms of his hands, they would be facing outwards in front of him towards the Qibla. The palms of the hands facing forwards towards the Qibla. And the back of his hand facing backwards. When you raise your hands, that's the position of them. That the palms are looking forwards towards the direction of the Qibla. And the backs of the hands are facing backwards. So that is what is mentioned. That the Prophet ﷺ would raise his hands to the level of the shoulders. With the palms facing forwards towards the Qibla. The backs of the hands facing backwards behind him. And that the fingers would be closed. The fingers would be together. Not that the fingers would be outstretched and wide and spread. Not that the Prophet would raise his hands with the fingers outstretched and wide. With huge gaps in between them. Rather they would be close together. The fingers would be close together when raised up. So here that's what's mentioned regarding the raising of the hands. But then we had this narration of Malik ibn al-Huwayrith radiallahu anhu. Where he said that actually the Prophet ﷺ used to raise the hands up until they were equal to his earlobes. They were equal or level to his earlobes. Which is higher than what the other narration mentioned. Some of the scholars have said, من العلماء من يجمع بين هاتين الروايتين بأن يفعل هذه تارة ويفعل هذه تارة Some of the scholars they say that these two narrations can be combined and they can both be acted upon. Meaning sometimes when a person raises his hands, raise them up to the level of the shoulders. And sometimes when you raise them, raise them to the level of the earlobes. That both of those acts could be done since they are mentioned in the two narrations. So some of the scholars, they combine between them in this way. Saying, sometimes raise them to the shoulder length or shoulder level. And sometimes raise them to the earlobe level. Other scholars, however, have combined between these two narrations in a different way. They say, actually, what the two narrations mean combined together is... That you raise your hands so that the palms of your hands are level to your shoulders. The palms are level to the shoulder. And your fingers, the fingertips are therefore going to be level to where? To the earlobes. If you place your hand whereby the palm is level to your shoulder, then therefore clearly your fingertips are going to be level to your earlobes. So they say that's how the two narrations are combined. That in the one act, you are technically level to your earlobes and your shoulders together. Rather than saying, only raise them so that the hand is level to the shoulder. That's what the narration said initially. Level to the shoulder there. Or the other narration, level to the earlobes there. They say no, in between. The palms are level to the shoulders and the fingertips are level to the ears. That's how some of the scholars have combined between these two narrations. So in any case, that's what's mentioned, either to raise them so that they are level to the shoulders, or to raise them so they are level to the earlobes, or to raise them in a manner where the palms are level to the shoulders, 
and the fingers are level to the earlobes. And the palms will be facing forwards towards the qibla, and the fingers will be uh, relatively close to each other, together, not outspread and wide. وَأَمَّا وَقْتُ الرَّفْعِ فَلَهُ وَقْتَانِ Then the next issue now is, when does a person raise his hands? We're talking about when in those particular locations. We've already mentioned the three places. One is at the beginning when you open your prayer, Allahu Akbar. When you start your prayer, that's one when you raise your hands. One is when you're going to go into ruku'ah, and one when you're coming out of ruku'ah. But when... Within those times, when specifically? Meaning, do you say Allahu Akbar first? Say Allahu Akbar, then raise the hands afterwards? Or do you say Allahu Akbar and raise the hands together? Or perhaps you raise the hands first and then say Allahu Akbar afterwards? Which of the combinations? That's what the Shaykh is going to speak about now. So, the Shaykh says, إِمَّا يَكُونُ مَعَ التَّكْبِيرِ أَوْ قَبْلَهُ وَصِفَةُ الرَّفْعِ مَعَ التَّكْبِيرِ إِذَا بَدَأَ التَّكْبِيرِ يَبْدَأُ الرَّفْعِ وَإِذَا أَنْهَ التَّكْبِيرِ يُنْهِي الرَّفْعِ The Shaykh says, either you can raise your hands as you are saying the takbir. You're saying Allahu Akbar and you're raising your hands at the same time. So one way of doing it is to raise the hands at the same time as you're saying Allahu Akbar. The other way of doing it is that you raise the hands before you actually say the takbir. So you raise the hands and then you say Allahu Akbar. You've already raised your hands, they are already in position. Then after that you start your statement, Allahu Akbar. So there's two ways of doing it. Either at the same time, as you begin to raise your hands, you begin to say, Allahu Akbar. And as you bring them down, you finish your statement, Allahu Akbar. So it becomes, Allahu Akbar. You start raising them when you start, Allah. You start raising them, Allahu Akbar. By the time you've got to the Ra, Allahu Akbar, your hands have come down again. Allahu Akbar. So the hand movement is in line with your statement, Allahu Akbar. In line with the takbir from its opening to the end. That's one way of doing it. The other way of doing it is then, وَصِفَةُ الرَّفْعِ قَبْلَ التَّكْبِيرِ بِأَنْ يَرْفَعَ أَوَّلًا ثُمَّ يُكَبِّرْ And the second way of doing it is that, you raise your hands, they are already in position, then you say Allahu Akbar. So the hands have already gone up, and they are already level to your shoulders and your lobes. Then you say Allahu Akbar. So in the second way of doing it, you raise your hands first, and then afterwards you say Allahu Akbar, once you've already raised the hands and got them into position. That's the second way. Whereas the first way was that as soon as you start to raise your hands, you start to say Allahu Akbar. So two different ways of doing that. And this raising of the hands, it is the methodology of the majority of the scholars. The majority of the scholars, the jumhur, they have mentioned the raising of the hands 
فقد ذهب الجمهور إلى استحباب ذلك والعمل به The majority of the scholars, the jumhur, have taken this position that it is mustahab and recommended that a person raises his hands at those places. Due to the clear, established, authentic narrations from the Prophet that he would raise his hands at those places. Al-Hanafiyyah the Hanafiya, however, do not consider that it is correct to raise the hands except in the opening takbir. They say when a person starts the prayer, then yes, you raise your hands, Allahu Akbar. But after that, during the prayer, they say you don't raise your hands in any place. And one of the evidences they use is a narration of Abdullah ibn Umar, where he prayed and he did not raise his hands. Where he prayed on some occasions and he did not raise his hands when he was going into Rukua, coming out of Rukua. There are some narrations regarding Ibn Umar when he did not raise his hands in some of the prayers he prayed. However, even with that narration and the existence of those narrations. The Shaykh says, the Shaykh Al-Fawzan, لكن على كل حال, however, in any case, الحجة فيما ثبت عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم. The proof and the evidence is in that which has been established from the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. And it has been established and proven from the Prophet ﷺ that he would raise his hands with the takbir at the beginning of the prayer and with the takbir going into the ruku'ah and when coming out of the ruku'ah that is proven from the act of the Prophet ﷺ himself when praying. Therefore, if that is proven and established, that is the evidence to act upon even if it is the case that one of the companions or more on some occasions didn't do that. Even if that is the case, then on some occasions they didn't do that. There are clear narrations where the Prophet ﷺ did do it. And therefore we act upon that and we do do it. Shaykh Al-Fawzan even explains why it could be the case that Ibn Umar in some of these narrations didn't raise his hands. He says perhaps that could be Due to Ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma explaining or highlighting and clarifying to the people that raising the hands going into the ruku' coming out of the ruku' isn't something which is an obligation. He may have been clarifying to the people that it is not something which is obligatory. Because we know this is one of the sunnah acts highly recommended from the perfect and complete description of the Prophet's prayer. But it's not a pillar and it's not an obligation. It is one of the sunan acts to perfect your prayer. So maybe Shaykh says that Ibn Umar radiallahu anhumah may have done that on some occasions to highlight to the people, to make them understand that this isn't an obligation. He left it a few times so they would understand that he has left it, therefore they know it's not an obligation or a pillar. So they understand that it is something which is a sunnah and mustahab. 
And this is perhaps the reason why there are some narrations of some of the companions not having raised their hands to highlight to the people it's not an obligation, but still it should be done as a highly recommended act to perfect your prayer and the description of your prayer. So that is regarding the raising of the hands in those three locations. And as we say, it is the opinion of the majority of the scholars due to those authentic narrations that we just mentioned, that the Prophet ﷺ used to raise his hands, going into the takbir, into the ruku'ah, coming out of the ruku'ah. And so that is what an individual should do. After that then, وَعَنْ وَائِلْ إِبْنِ حُجْرِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ قَالْ صَلَّيْتُ مَعَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ فَوَضَعَ يَدَهُ الْيُمْنَ عَلَى يَدِهِ الْيُسْرَى عَلَى صَدْرِهِ أَخْرَجَهُ بْنُ خُزَيْمَةِ This hadith now of Wa'il ibn Hujar radiyallahu anhu who was from the kings of Hadarmaut and he came to the Prophet ﷺ and declared his Islam and he gave the Pledge of Allegiance to the Prophet ﷺ and he was good and upright upon his Islam, Wa'il ibn Hujar radiyallahu anhu. So he narrates now in this narration that he prayed with the Prophet ﷺ. He said, I prayed, Sallaytu ma'a with an-nabiyyi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam I prayed with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yadahu al-yumna ala yadihi al-yusra ala sadrihi and he says what did he see when he prayed with the Prophet sallallahu he says the Prophet sallallahu placed his right hand on his left hand upon his chest وَضَعَ يَدَهُ الْيُمْنَى The Prophet ﷺ placed his right hand عَلَى يَدِهِ الْيُسْرَى On his left hand عَلَى صَدْرِهِ Upon his chest This is what's mentioned in this narration This obviously is talking about when a person is standing When you're reciting the Fatiha When you're reciting the Surahs of the Qur'an When you are standing in the Qiyam in that standing position, then this is what's mentioned regarding the Prophet ﷺ. That he would place the right hand on top of the left hand, and then place that upon his chest. This therefore is another action that is from the sunnah acts of the prayer. It's another action that is from the sunnah acts of the prayer, that a person should do. And that is to place the right hand, the right palm, the right hand, onto the left hand, and then to place them upon the chest. This is from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ in the prayer, which is proven and established. And the majority of the scholars, they have all explained that this is the correct position. This is how a person prays, that when you are standing, you place your right hand on your left hand, and you place that upon your chest. All of the scholars, they said that, including Al-Imam Malik, in Al-Mawattah, that famous book of Al-Imam Malik, Al-Imam Malik included, he said this, to place the right hand upon the left, upon the chest. However, there is another statement that is mentioned from Al-Imam Malik, there is another statement that is mentioned from Al-Imam Malik, 
rahimahullah, that he said, you're supposed to leave your hands down by your sides. There is a statement mentioned regarding that, that Imam Malik said, leave your hands down by your sides in the standing, when you're standing in the prayer. So when you're reciting the Fatiha, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, and you're reciting the Surah, all of that you do it with your hands down by your sides. This is mentioned from Imam Malik. However, despite that narration or uh, it being mentioned and ascribed to Imam Malik, some of the scholars have explained that in reality, this incident or this narration that occurs from Imam Malik regarding leaving the hands down by your side, some of the scholars have explained Sheikh Ali Nasr al-Faqihi, Hafizahullah Ta'ala, he explained this and others they explained this. That in reality this was due to Imam Malik having suffered some ailment to his arms due to various uh, incidents that occurred from some of the people of deviation etc. that he was hit etc. And so his arms due to the pain and that incident that occurred regarding this ailment, this problem that occurred in his arms due to perhaps being beaten or other affairs from the people of deviation, he was actually for a time period unable to raise his hands and place them upon his chest. The scholars have explained this, that on some time in his life, there was a moment or some time where due to an ailment, due to a problem in his arms for various reasons, he was unable to raise them up and place them upon his chest. So that was due to a reasoning that he was unable to place them upon the chest, not because he considered that to be the correct fiqh position. Not because he considered that this is the correct fiqh position, to leave your hands down by your side. Rather it's mentioned he was of the opinion to place them upon your chest also. But due to this certain factor, and some of the scholars mentioned that it was from the people of innovation who they beat Imam Malik, uh, or some other incidents that occurred, that he had a problem with his arms and he was unable to pick them up. So he had to leave them down by his side out of no choice. But the students of Imam Malik and other people who saw this, they were maybe unaware. They were perhaps unaware. So when they saw Imam Malik praying in that way, they thought it's because Imam Malik views this to be the correct manhaj. He views this to be the correct madhab, to leave the hands down by the side. So they began to narrate this, that Imam Malik prays with his hands down by his side. When in reality that was due to the ailment, the problem in the arms, that Imam Malik was not able to put his hands on his chest. Not because this was his position and his opinion. So the scholars have explained that's the cause for that. And therefore, the reality is that the scholars, the jumhur, they have all said that a person places his hands, the right upon the left, upon his chest. Then after that, عن عبادة ابن صامت رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا صلاة لمن لم يقرأ بأم القرآن متفق عليه 
Ubadat ibn Samit radiyallahu anhu says that the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said there is no prayer for the one who does not recite al-fatiha the ummul quran whoever prays any prayer and he doesn't recite the fatiha in it then that prayer is incorrect that's what this narration indicates in al-bukhari and muslim whomsoever or rather there is no prayer. The prayer is incorrect for the one who does not recite Ummul Quran, i.e., Al Fatiha. Wafi riwayatin libni hibban wa darakutni, and in another narration of Ibn Hibban and darakutni, La tujzi salatun la yukra ufiha bi fatihatil kitab. That your prayer does not Count if you do not recite the Fatiha in it. Your prayer doesn't count if you don't recite the Fatiha. وَفِي أُخْرَى لِأَحْمَدْ وَأَبِي دَاوُودِ وَالتِّرْمِذِي وَابْنِ حِبَّانِ And in another narration of Al-Imam Ahmad and Abu Dawood and Al-Tirmidhi and Ibn Hibban, they said in that narration the Prophet said, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَقْرَؤُونَ خَلْفَ إِمَامِكُمْ The Prophet ﷺ said to them that you are reciting also behind the Imam. When the Imam is leading you, you are reciting as well. قُلْنَا نَعَمْ They said yes, we recite too. Then the Prophet ﷺ said to them, لَا تَفْعَلُوا Don't do it. If the Imam is leading and he is reciting, don't recite behind him. And Compete يعني, with the Imam, don't recite behind him. Illa bi Fatihatil Kitab, except Al Fatiha. The Fatiha, even if you're in the congregation and the Imam is reading, you can read that. But don't recite any other surah, etc. That is for the Imam to do then. So that's what this narration indicates. Because there is no prayer for the one who does not recite the Fatiha. That's what those narrations all speak about. They speak about this issue of Al-Fatiha. And all of those narrations, they seem to indicate that a person must recite Al-Fatiha. And if you do not, then that prayer doesn't count. That prayer is incorrect. But we'll come to the explanation in a moment. We'll come to the explanation and the difference of opinion regarding that in a moment. Firstly though, عن أنس رضي الله عنه أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وأبا بكر وعمر كانوا يفتتحون الصلاة بالحمد لله رب العالمين متفق عليه زاد مسلم لا يذكرون بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم في أول القراءة ولا في آخرها In this narration now the narration of Anas رضي الله عنه that the Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr and Umar they used to start the prayer with Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. In this narration it says that the Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr and Umar all of them used to begin the prayer with Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Meaning, when they would lead when they would lead the prayer, the first thing that would be heard by the congregation is, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. 
That's the first thing they would hear. The people in the congregation, when they were being led by the Prophet ﷺ, or by Abu Bakr, or by Umar, then Anas radiallahu anhu says, whenever we were led by any, the Prophet ﷺ, or Abu Bakr, or Umar radiallahu anhuma, in the congregation behind them, the first thing we would hear is, obviously the takbir, Allahu Akbar, and then after that, the first thing we would hear is, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, the Fatiha. In the narration of Sahih Muslim, it goes into further detail and adds, لا يذكرون بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم في أول القراءة ولا في آخرها That they did not used to begin with بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين They didn't used to start the recitation with بسم الله loud As you see some of the people, it is their way The imams in some places, when they lead the prayer They do the takbir, Allahu Akbar Everybody in congregation does the takbir. After a small silence for the openings of the prayers that we spoke about, the first thing that they'll start with is, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, Alhamdulillah. They'll begin with the Bismillah loud first. Here in this narration of Sahih Muslim, it says that the Prophet ﷺ, Abu Bakr, Umar, radiallahu anhuma, didn't used to start with Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Rather, they used to begin with. Alhamdulillah, straight away, indicating that the Bismillah was read silently. وَفِي رِوَايَ لِأَحْمَدُ وَالنَّسَائِ وَابْنِ خُزَيْمَ لَا يَجْهَرُونَ بِبِسْمِ اللَّهِ الرَّحْمَنِ الرَّحِيمِ In another narration of Imam Ahmad and An-Nasai and Ibn Khuzayma, it says explicitly, they did not used to say out loud, بِسْمِ اللَّهِ الرَّحْمَنِ الرَّحِيمِ وَفِي أُخْرَى لِبْنِ خُزَيْمَةِ And in another narration of Ibn Khuzaymah, كَانُوا يُسِرُّونَ That they used to say that quietly to themselves. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين That's where the recitation would start. بسم الله was to themselves quietly. وَعَلَى هَذَا يُحْمَلُ النَّفْيُ فِي رِوَايَةِ مُسْلِمْ خِلَافًا لِمَنْ أَعَلَّهَا That explanation will come to now. So, firstly looking at this issue of the Bismillah. We'll come to the Fatiha issue in a moment. The Bismillah issue. These hadith then they indicate that it is, it, it is, it is legislated to say Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim before the Fatiha. وَبَعْدَ الْإِسْتِعَاذَةِ وَالصَّحِيحِ فِي هَذِهِ الْمَسْأَلَةِ أَنَّ الْبَسْمَلَ سُنَّ وَمُسْتَحَبَّةِ the Shaykh says, a Shaykh Al-Fawzan, the correct position regarding the Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim is that when a person, you've done your opening takbir, Allahu Akbar, you've placed your hands upon the chest, you start with your opening supplication, whichever opening supplication you read, then you do the isti'adha, as we mentioned in the previous narration, after you've done your opening supplication, Subhanakallahumma bihamdika, etc., then you come to A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaytanir Rajeem. Then you recite Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Then you start Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. So the Sunnah, the Mustahab thing to do is to say A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaytanir Rajeem. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. 
then alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen to say the bismillah after a'udhu billahi min ash-shaytanir rajim and before beginning alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen that is the correct thing to do that is the sunnah thumma innahu la yujharu fiha mutlaqan la fi salati al-jahriya wa la fi sirriya wa hadha huwa qawlu jumhuri ahli al-ilm the majority of the scholars have also said though that the Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, it is not something that you always recite loud. As some people they believe that the Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, it must be done loud when the Imam is reciting this. Year, that's where you have to start the recitation from. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil. That's what they say. That is incorrect. The Jumhur, the majority of the scholars, they say it is not in that way that it has to be done loud every time. لِأَنَّ النَّبِيَّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ وَأَبَا بَكْرٍ وَعُمَرٍ كَانُوا يَفْتَتِحُونَ الصَّلَاةَ بِالْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ Because in this narration it says clearly the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, Abu Bakr, Umar رضي الله عنهما used to open up their prayer, start their prayer with الحمد لله رب العالمين The Nabi used to say بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله The Nabi used to say the بسم الله لاودة that's what this narration says. فَلَوْ كَانَتْ بِسْمِ اللَّهِ الرَّحْمَنِ الرَّحِيمِ يُجْهَرُ بِهَا لَجَهَرُ بِهَا If it was a condition or if it was the correct ruling that the Bismillah has to be said loud by the Imam or whoever is praying every time, then they would have done it. They would have read it loud. However, it's narrated that there are prayers that they led where they wouldn't read that loud. They wouldn't read the Bismillah loud. They would only start with the loud part from Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. وَلِذَلِكَ This is what the meaning of the narrations is. When these narrations talk about how Abu Bakr and Umar and the Prophet didn't used to say Bismillah, that doesn't mean that Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim is not to be said in the prayer at all. The meaning of these narrations is that they never used to say it out loud. To themselves, quietly you say it. Just like the opening supplication, you say it quietly to yourself. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajim, quietly to yourself. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, quietly to yourself. Then the loud part starts. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahmanir Rahim, the Fatiha. That's what's meant by these narrations, that you say it. It is mustahab and sunnah to say the bismillah just before you start the fatiha, but to say it quietly, not to read it out loud and recite it out loud. For example, the imam, for him to recite it out loud, that isn't the case. Uh, and that's why we know that the bismillahir rahmanir rahim it is not a part of al-fatiha. Because there are some scholars who believe that Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim is an ayah from Surah Al-Fatiha. But the reality, as most of the scholars the Jumhur have said, is that the Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim is not an ayah from Al-Fatiha. Al-Fatiha begins, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. And that's why in the Quran you see that the Bismillah, it comes at the beginning of all of the chapters, all of the surahs, except between which two? At-Tawbah, and before that, Al-Anfal, 
So between Al-Anfal and Bara'a, between those two, then it is not mentioned. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. And the scholars have explained various reasons for that. Some of the scholars have mentioned because the two surahs in reality, they flow in one continuous way. Some of the scholars have explained that the two surahs, in reality, they flow in a continuous way. Their topic and the way they are, they are fluid together. It is as if they are one surah. So, and there's other reasons that the scholars have mentioned, but there is no Bismillah there. As for every other surah at the beginning, you see Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. And there is an instance where Bismillah actually comes in the middle of a surah. And that is uh, in Surah Namal, إِنَّهُ مِن سُلَيْمَانِ وَإِنَّهُ بِسْمِ اللَّهِ الرَّحْمَنِ الرَّحِيمِ So there it's mentioned in the middle of a surah, in Surah An-Naml, ayah number 30. So that's regarding the Bismillah. Regarding the Bismillah, that's what is to be said. A person recites the opening supplication, recites, أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ Recites, بِسْمِ اللَّهِ الرَّحْمَنِ الرَّحِيمِ and then, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. That's in the opening raka'ah. In your opening raka'ah, that's what you do. What about when you get up from having done the first raka'ah, you get up to start your second raka'ah? Where do you start with from? When you've done your first, first raka'ah, you've done your prostrations, then you come up to start your second raka'ah. What's the first thing you begin with now? The opening supplications again. Or or just or straight to Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. What do you begin with in the second rak'ah, third rak'ah, fourth rak'ah? Where? Alhamdulillah. The Bismillah. Many of the scholars they mention here you begin with Bismillah. You leave out the A'udhu Billahi min ash-shaytanir rajim. That is only for the opening rak'ah. In the opening rak'ah, when you open your prayer, your first raka'ah of your prayer, the takbir, Allahu Akbar, the opening supplication, subhanakallah, whatever you're going to recite, then, a'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajim, bismillahir rahmanir rahim, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. That's in the first raka'ah. Then in the second raka'ah, just, bismillahir rahmanir rahim, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, from there. So that's regarding the bismillah. As for somebody who's leading, for example, then it is mentioned the majority of the scholars, the Bismillah is not read out loud. The Imam starts the loud recitation from Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. وَقِرَاءَةُ fatiha فِي الصَّلَاةِ Then we have this issue also that comes in with these narrations regarding the recitation of Al-Fatiha. Al-Fatiha, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Maliki Yawmiddin, Iyyaka Na'budu, Iyyaka Nasta'een, Al-Fatiha. Al-Fatiha, this is a great topic, a great issue that is mentioned regarding the prayer. Al-Fatiha in of itself, Surah Al-Fatiha, it is called Al-Fatiha because you open up the Mus'haf with it. It is the beginning. Al-Fatiha, the opener, the beginning. And it has many different names, Surah Al-Fatiha. And that indicates the greatness of it. One of those names is Ummul Qur'an, the head of the Qur'an, Ummul Qur'an. And one of the reasons it's given that name is because all of the Qur'an, the meanings of all of the Qur'an, 
they are centered around and they focus around what you find in Al-Fatiha. All of those meanings, they are revolving around what is found in Al-Fatiha. So therefore it's known as the head of the Qur'an. Because everything in reality revolves around what is in Al-Fatiha. Or what is in Al-Fatiha explains to you what the remainder of the Qur'an will revolve around. So now then, the recitation of Surah Al-Fatiha. These narrations that we mentioned, they all seemed to indicate very clearly that a person must recite Al-Fatiha in the prayer. And that it cannot be missed. And that if an individual misses it, his prayer doesn't count. That's what all of the narrations they indicated. And in reality, that is the position of the majority of the scholars. The jumhur of the scholars, many of the scholars hold that position. That you must recite the Fatiha. Every individual who prays, you must recite the Fatiha, otherwise the prayer does not count. عَلَىٰ أَنَّ قِرَاءَتَهَا رُكْنٌ فِي الصَّلَاةِ فِي الْجُمْلَةِ Because they believe that the Fatiha is a pillar of the prayer, which it is in a very broad sense. It is a pillar of the prayer in a very broad sense, meaning everybody must recite it. That is what the majority say. أَمَّا الْحَنَفِيَّةِ The Hanafis, there is a statement within the madhab, which indicates that it is not obligatory. Due to the ayat in the Qur'an, فَقْرَأُوا مَا تَيَسَّرَ مِنْهُ فَقْرَأُوا مَا تَيَسَّرَ مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ There are ayat in the Qur'an that say, read whatever is easy for you. Read whatever is easy for you. So they used that as an evidence to say, that in the prayer, read whatever is easy for you. It doesn't have to be al-Fatiha, they said. Read whatever is easy for you due to this ayah in the Qur'an saying, read whatever is easy for you. But the reality is there are much more specific evidences that highlight, as the majority of the scholars have said, that the Fatiha, Fatiha specifically has to be recited. And that is the correct position, no doubt. That the Fatiha must be recited. Now then, with regards to the difference that occurs on this issue. أَمَّا الَّذِينَ قَالُوا بِوُجُوبِ قِرَاءَةِ الْفَاتِحَةِ So take note of this now. As for the scholars who say that it is obligatory to recite the Fatiha in the prayer. And they are the majority as the Shaykh says. اِخْتَلَفُوا They have differed regarding certain aspects. مِنْهُمْ مَنْ يَرَى أَنَّهَا تُقْرَأُ فِي الرَّكَعَةِ الْأُولَى فَقَطْ وَلَا يَلْزَمْ أَن تُقْرَأْ فِي كُلِّ الرَّكَعَاتِ Some of the scholars who take the opinion that you must recite the Fatiha, which is no doubt the correct opinion as we've said. That is the correct way. You must recite the Fatiha. But some of the scholars have said that if a person recited it in the first Raka'ah and forgot about it or left it in the second and third and fourth Raka'ah, your prayer would still be okay. Some scholars, they have this opinion. Because they say you have at the end of the day recited Fatiha in your prayer. In one of the raka'at at least you recited Fatiha. Even if you didn't do it in every raka'at, they say at least in one raka'at you did it, so your prayer is correct. That is an opinion of some. وَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ يَرَى However, many of them have said 
that the correct understanding is that every individual must or rather some of them have said that it is obligatory to recite the Fatiha in every Raka'ah it is obligatory for the person who is the Imam or if you are praying by yourself that you must recite the Fatiha in every Raka'ah if you are the Imam or reciting by yourself you must recite the Fatiha in every Raka'ah. Some of the scholars say, it is obligatory upon everyone, the Imam, or if you're by yourself, and what's the third possibility? You're either the Imam when you're praying, or you're praying by yourself, or there's a third possibility. You're behind the Imam. So either you are the Imam, or you're in the congregation behind the imam, or you're praying by yourself, not in a congregation. Three possibilities. Three possibilities. Some scholars, they say, whether you're the imam, or you're in the congregation behind the imam, or even if you are praying by yourself somewhere, whichever one of those three states you're in, some scholars say, you must recite the Fatiha in every raka'ah. That is one opinion. You must recite the Fatiha in every raka'ah, whether you are the Imam, whether you are in the rows behind the Imam, whether you are praying by yourself somewhere in your home or whatever. Every raka'ah you must recite Al-Fatiha. That is the position of some. If we summarize it now, this is the summary. This will explain the three main opinions. Because after having mentioned this issue of the Fatiha now, it can be confusing, the one who's the imam, not the imam, etc. This summarizes it now. Summarizes this issue very briefly in a nutshell regarding the Fatiha, do you read it or not? The first opinion, opinion number one. Take it down in this way. The opinion number one. أَنَّهَا wajiba ala kulli musallin imaman aw ma'muman aw munfaridan the first opinion is that reciting Al-Fatiha reciting Al-Fatiha is an obligation upon every individual whenever you pray whether you're the Imam in that particular prayer whether you're in the congregation being led by the Imam or whether you're at home somewhere praying by yourself in any situation, every person who prays must recite the Fatiha. Whether it was a loud prayer, which are the loud prayers? Fajr, Maghrib and Isha, because you recite out loud. Which are the quiet prayers? Dhuhr and Asr. They say in all of them, loud, quiet, every prayer you must, every individual must recite the Fatiha. So that's the first opinion. Any situation, any individual in the prayer, wherever you are, you must recite Fatiha. That is opinion number one. Why do they say that? Because of those narrations. La salata lam kitab. There is no prayer for the one who doesn't recite the Fatiha. There is no prayer for the one who doesn't recite the Fatiha. Meaning it doesn't count. His prayer is wrong. It doesn't count. The second opinion. 
Or firstly, we should say that first opinion, it is the opinion of Al-Imam al-Shafi'i, Al-Imam al-Bukhari, and other scholars. Al-Imam al-Shafi'i, Al-Imam al-Bukhari, and other scholars. The second opinion, the second opinion regarding Fatiha in the prayer. أَنَّهَا تَجِبُ عَلَى الْإِمَامِ وَعَلَى الْمُنْفَرِدِ أَمَّا الْمَأْمُومِ فَإِنَّهُ تَكْفِيهِ قِرَاءَةُ إِمَامِهِ فِي السِّرِّيَّةِ وَالْجَهْرِيَّةِ The second opinion is that if you are the imam leading the people, if you are the imam leading the people, then it is an obligation for you to have to recite the Fatiha in the prayer. If you are the imam leading the people. Or if you are praying by yourself somewhere, not in a congregation. If you are praying by yourself as an independent somewhere, by yourself in your home. Or you come into the masjid to pray tahrir al-masjid. You're praying by yourself, then it is an obligation to recite the Fatiha also. So they say in the second opinion. That the imam, if he is leading the prayer, the imam, whoever is leading the prayer, he must recite the fatiha. Or if you are praying by yourself somewhere, not in a congregation, you must recite the fatiha. As for the third situation, what's left? What's the third situation? If you're not the imam and you're not praying by yourself, then you are in the congregation behind the imam. Either you're the imam or you're praying by yourself somewhere, or you are in the congregation behind the imam. In that situation, if you are in the congregation behind the imam, being led by the imam, then in the second opinion they say, you do not have to recite the fatiha in any prayer. Fajr, uh, Fajr, Duhr, Asr, Maghrib, Isha, whichever prayer, the loud prayers, the quiet prayers, if you are in congregation being led by the imam, they say you don't have to recite the Fatiha. That is the second opinion. They say because if you are in the congregation being led by the Imam, then the Imam, does he have to recite Fatiha or not? We've just said, yes, Imam has to. So they say the fact that the Imam is reciting the Fatiha and he has to recite it, that suffices for everybody in the congregation behind him. That covers everyone in the congregation behind him. That counts for everyone in the congregation behind him. The second opinion, quiet and loud. In the second opinion, they say whether it's a loud prayer or quiet prayer. The imam has to recite. So the fact that the imam is reciting, it covers you. You're praying behind it, that imam. So him reciting covers you. You don't have to recite the fatiha. That's the second opinion. They use some evidences, and that is the opinion that is mentioned in the madhab of the Hanabila. And it's mentioned in the madhab of the Hanafiyyah. Despite that, it should be added on in this second opinion. They do say though, they do say though, it is still good and recommended. It is still good and recommended for the person in the congregation to try to recite the Fatiha as well when the Imam has some pause or break in his recitation. 
They say it's good if you do it, but they don't make it any conditional obligation. They say if you stay quiet, the Imam covers you. But still, they say it's good if you recite the Fatiha yourself as well. That's the second opinion. So what's the difference so far? The first opinion says, whether you are the Imam, whether you are behind the Imam in the congregation, whether you are praying by yourself, not even in a congregation, whether it's one of the loud prayers like Fajr or Maghrib or Isha, or one of the quiet prayers like Asr and Dhuhr, in any circumstance, you must recite the Fatiha. Must. The second opinion says, if you're the Imam leading the people, then you must. If you're behind the Imam being led by him, then you don't have to. But it's good if you do. You don't have to. Because the Imam covers you, but it's good if you do. And if you're by yourself, then you must. If you're by yourself, you must. If you're the Imam, you must. But if you're being led by the Imam in the congregation, then you don't have to. The Imam covers you. But it's good if you can try to get it in as well. The third opinion. The, uh, the third opinion, or, or the second opinion, they use some evidences for that. They use some evidences to say that if the Imam is reciting, then that covers you and you don't recite behind the Imam. وَإِذَا قُرِئَ الْقُرْآنِ فَاسْتَمِعُوا لَهُ وَأَنْصِتُوا لَعَلَّكُمْ تُرْحَمُونَ The ayah in the Qur'an in Surah Al-A'raf, ayah number 204, where Allah says, if the Qur'an is recited, then listen to it, and pay attention to it, so that you may be shown mercy. If the Qur'an is recited, then listen to it and pay attention to it. So they use that as an evidence. That if the Imam is reciting, like in Fajr and Maghrib and Isha, the Imam is reciting, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. The Imam is reciting the Qur'an. They say based upon this ayah, you should be quiet now and listen to the Imam then. Because he's reciting Qur'an. And Allah says in the Qur'an, if the Qur'an is being recited, be quiet and listen and pay attention. So they say, there you go. In that case, you should be quiet and listen and pay attention when the Imam is reciting and you cannot recite when he's reciting. In order for you to fulfill this command and listen to the Qur'an as it's being recited. That's why they say it's good for you to do it only in the pause. If the Imam pauses for a moment or two and you can try to recite it, then okay. Otherwise, in the second opinion, they say don't do it. Don't do it if it means... You have to recite over the recitation of the Imam. And you can't listen to the Imam as a consequence. Then don't do it. That's the second opinion. Also they have a hadith, which some of the scholars say is weak, and some of them they say it's okay. مَنْ كَانَ لَهُ إِمَامٌ فَقِرَاءَتُهُ لَهُ قِرَاءَةٌ Hadith which says that whomsoever is being led by an Imam, then the recitation of the Imam is the recitation for you i.e. the recitation of the Imam covers you as well. That's the second opinion. The third opinion is, and this is the opinion of Imam Malik, and in fact, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. The opinion of Imam Malik, or the madhab of Imam Malik, and the opinion or the choice, the choice of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, who say, That the person who is being led in the prayer, the one who's the Imam, 
That there's no problem. The one who's the Imam has to recite the Fatiha. Even in this third opinion. The one who's praying by himself has to recite the Fatiha. Even in this third opinion. But this issue of the person who is being led by the Imam in the congregation. In this third opinion they say, that if you are being led in the congregation by an Imam, then in the loud prayers, which are Fajr, where the Imam recites loud, in Maghrib, where the Imam recites loud, in Isha, where the Imam recites loud, in those prayers where the Imam recites loud, then you don't recite. You don't recite because he's reciting loud and you can hear his recitation, so it covers you. So you don't recite in the loud prayers. As for the quiet prayers, Dhuhr and Asr, where you can't hear the Imam reciting. He's leading you in the prayer, but it's a quiet prayer. You can't hear him reciting, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, Rahman, Rahim. You can't hear him reciting the Fatiha in Dhuhr and Asr. So they say in that one, even if you're being led by the Imam, the Imam's recitation doesn't cover you. Because you can't hear him reciting it. So they say now in the quiet prayers, you do have to recite it if you're being led in the congregation. So they make that distinction. In the loud prayers, the recitation of the Imam covers you because you can hear him. In the first two raka'at of Maghrib, you can hear the Imam, so that covers you. In the last one, you can recite. In the first two of Isha, you can hear the Imam, it covers you. In the last two, you can recite. In the two of uh, Fajr, both of them, you can hear the Imam, they cover you. But in Dhuhr and Asr, the full prayer, you can't hear the Fatiha at all. The Imam is leading and he's reciting it obviously, but quietly. So now in that one, they say you have to recite it. And that is the choice of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah uh, regarding the recitation of Al-Fatiha. Which would therefore lead us to the conclusion based upon that opinion, that if you are praying Fajr, if you're praying by yourself, in fact, make it easy, all three opinions, in all three opinions, if you're praying by yourself, you have to do what? You have to recite the Fatiha. If you are praying by yourself, easy way to remember now, if you are praying by yourself, then there's no nothing to remember. You recite the Fatiha. If you're praying by yourself, you must recite the Fatiha. Nothing to remember there. If you're leading the people, you're the Imam, you happen to be the Imam. Then again, in all three opinions, no problem, you have to recite the Fatiha. No issue. If you're praying by yourself, or you happen to be the Imam leading the people, in all three opinions, you must recite the Fatiha. The issue in the three opinions is when you are in the congregation being led by an Imam. In that situation, the first opinion says, you still have to recite in every prayer. The second opinion says, no, don't recite if the Imam is reciting out loud. You cannot, you have to listen to him. Unless there's a pause, there's some quietness from the Imam, you could get it in, then good. In the third opinion, it says, when the Imam is reciting loud, i.e. the two raka'at of Fajr, the first two raka'at of Maghrib, the first two raka'at of Isha. In those raka'at, you don't have to recite the Fatiha. You don't recite the Fatiha in those. But the other, Dhuhr and Asr, all of those prayers, and the last raka'at of Maghrib, and the last two raka'at of Isha, when you can't hear the Imam, then you do recite it. So that is, as Sheikh Fawzan said, perhaps a middle path. That is perhaps a middle path with all of the narrations. 
that the narration, some of them say, don't compete with the imam, okay? When he's reciting loud, don't recite. Don't compete with the imam. Don't recite over the imam's recitation. Listen to his recitation. But when it is quiet, you can't hear the imam's recitation, then recite. Because you're not competing with the imam anymore. So the shaykh said, perhaps that is the middle way with regards to this uh, issue of reciting the Fatiha in the prayer. We'll conclude upon that topic today. And inshallah ta'ala, we'll begin next time. With the hadith of Nu'aym al-Mujmir. Where he speaks about having prayed behind Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu. And he talks about the Bismillah again and the recitation of it. Whether it's allowed to recite it loud or quiet. And whether it's not allowed to do that or when it was done and when it was not done. So we'll start from that point next time. And we'll conclude upon this section for today. وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين. هذا قول الحنابلة والحنفية. لكن يستحب للمأموم أن يقرأها في سكتات إمامه. The second opinion they said you don't recite. But if the imam pauses or he goes silent, then you're not competing with him. You can recite it in those, in those spaces if you get a chance. If you don't, they say, that's it, leave it, don't recite it. What's the strongest opinion on uh, The strongest opinion with this issue of whether you have to recite the Fatiha or not, Allahu A'lam. But like Shaykh Al-Fawzan says, perhaps this third one, perhaps that is the, the middle way to go with it, perhaps. It's an issue which has differed about for centuries. Regarding what do you have to do? you have to recite it or, or can you leave it and the imam covers you? It's a big difference of opinion on the issue. But the shaykh says here, maybe, maybe the way to go, as Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah said as well is, in the loud prayers when the imam is reciting, you can stay quiet and listen to him. And when the imam is not reciting, then you recite. Perhaps that is the middle way. But... When they talk about al-ihtiyat, uh, to be cautious, then no doubt the cautious way would be to recite in every rak'ah. The cautious approach would be to recite the Fatiha in every rak'ah. If you follow the first of the, of the third opinion, and the imam goes into Rukhwa before you finish the Fatiha, do you still finish it or do you follow the imam? If you follow one or three. No, uh, the, the two issues, I think they're a little bit different. This issue now about, and it's going to come in more detail as well. If you miss the Fatiha in a rak'ah, then does that rak'ah count or not? If you miss the Fatiha in a rak'ah, does it count or not? Meaning if you're late for the prayer. You come in for the prayer, the congregation is going on, and just as you come in, the Imam says, Allahu Akbar, and he goes into Rukuah. So you've missed the whole Fatiha. Does that Raka'ah count for you or not now? That's a topic the scholars, they speak about as well. There is one opinion, based similar to this now, one opinion which says, the Fatiha is a must. You must recite the Fatiha in every Raka'ah. 
Your prayer doesn't count otherwise as we've been talking about. In that instance, the scholars would say, this rak'ah doesn't count. If you've only caught the imam in the ruku'ah and you haven't been able to do the fatiha, that rak'ah doesn't count then. But there's another opinion because of some narrations of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu where he came to the prayer on one occasion and he joined in the ruku'ah. And that rak'ah was accepted and the Prophet didn't tell him to repeat the rak'ah. So some scholars say, if you come and join the congregation and you've missed the fatiha, they've already gone into the ruku'ah, you caught them in the ruku'ah, that this rak'ah does count for you. But that topic we're going to come to in more detail later again. When it comes to the issue of the ruku'ah and whether it counts or not if you join the prayer in the ruku'ah, whether that rak'ah counts or not. But basically two opinions. If you must recite the fatiha, they say it's no prayer without it, then it doesn't count. You have to repeat that rak'ah. But if you follow the opinion that the recitation is sufficient for you, and those narrations of some of the companions uh, joining in the ruku'ah, and them not being told to repeat the rak'ah, then it counts. But we'll come to that topic again, and the ikhtilaf and the opinions later insha'Allah. That wasn't my question. My question is, huh? if you start the prayer from the beginning, Ayo? you follow the first opinion, you haven't, the imam goes into ruku'ah too quick, before you finish the fatiha, do you follow him into ruku'ah, or do you finish your fatiha first, risking that he will come up again, before you even... Ayo. That situation, uh, uh, you have to find a very fast imam. If you if you join with the imam, Allahu Akbar, and you start reciting your opening supplication, and you start doing a'udhu billahi, and you're just about to start, alhamdulillah, he says, Allahu Akbar, to go to ruku'ah. No, in the third and the fourth ruku'ah, where you only recite fatihah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. There's only fatihah there. Some imams, they go away. Ayyuh, sah, sah. That's possible. In the second or the third or the fourth ruku'ah. That's something which is evidenced and exists in reality. When some of the imams, they'll come up, and uh, in the second rak'ah, third rak'ah, fourth rak'ah, they come up, and it's true. You barely got through maybe two or three ayat of al-fatiha, and they've already done the takbir to go into the ruku'ah. So if you follow the first opinion that you must recite the fatiha, or you follow the third opinion in a quiet prayer where you must recite the fatiha, then what would appear to be the case here is that this raka'ah is incorrect. But before we give a ruling on that, we'll come with the we'll try to find some fatawa of the scholars. But that's what would appear to be the case in that case. You've now missed a pillar of that raka'ah, a rukan of that raka'ah. And it's a problem. That's a problem with some of the imams. Uh, the speed at which they pray, it is correct. Second, third, fourth rak'ah, you barely come out of the prostration and start, and they've already done the, the takbir to go into the ruku'ah. And if you finish your fatiha, if you stay to finish, then you miss the ruku'ah. <laughs> then they've already done sami Allahu liman hamida before you even get to the ruku'ah. It's a problem with some of the imams. Uh, alhamdulillah, you don't really find that with the, in the masajid of Ahl Sunnah. The few that there are, you won't find that kind of thing occurring, but it does occur. But inshallah, we'll have a look into that in more detail. It is not evidenced at all in the Sunnah that the Prophet did that. 
it's a, you know, that first opinion, it, that's the problem. That's one of the issues that the scholars bring with it. They say, if it is the case that you must recite the Fatiha, every person, even in the congregation behind the Imam, then when are you supposed to do it? If you start reciting the Fatiha whilst the Imam is reciting the Fatiha, and you're doing it at the same time, then you are getting into this problem of not listening to the Qur'an when the Qur'an is being recited. You're not listening to the Imam, you're reciting your own Fatiha, alhamdulillah, and the Imam is reciting his Fatiha. Everybody's doing their own thing. And that really isn't legitimate. It doesn't really go well. So then the scholars do say, on that opinion, when do you recite it? So some scholars say that the Imam, if he pauses at the end of the Fatiha, you could do it then. Some Imams, they do that. They have a, a pause at the end before they go to the, uh, the Surah or uh, after that. But again, it's not witnessed in the Sunnah anywhere, any narrations, any hadith, that the Prophet would pause after the Fatiha. It's not mentioned. Otherwise, they'll say that the Imam, when he recites after each ayah, you can bring your ayah. So the Imam says, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Then there's a slight pause. You say it. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Then the Imam will say, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Slight pause. Then you do your Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. So one ayah at a time. And that's possible. Because technically, really, it's mentioned that the Prophet used to recite an ayah at a time. So if an Imam led in that way, where he recites one ayah at a time, it's possible you could fit your ayat in, in between the ayat. So that's something that the scholars mentioned. But that is an issue. That there isn't anywhere that is mentioned in the sunnah of how you are supposed to recite. If you're on that opinion, you must recite. How? When? It's not explicitly mentioned in the sunnah how to do it. Hmm. So we'll conclude there. Um, 23rd I think huh? 23rd inshallah in Leeds In 3 weeks Advance notice 23rd uh, 16th Aha, 16th 16th of September uh, of uh, November Ayo, Bolton 23rd 16th of November And uh, it's two, 2 Saturdays away basically Saturday 16th of November In Leeds There's going to be a mini conference uh, on the topic of magic and uh, what's related to that, magic and tawheed, etc. See, many of the people now involved in all types of different things with magic and all different people who say that they do ruqya, but they do all types of things which are incorrect. So, uh, something revolving around that topic of magic and tawheed, there'll be a mini conference on 16th, Saturday, November, in a couple of weeks. Then the Saturday after that, Saturday 23rd of November, There'll be a mini conference or a larger conference, a full one-day conference in Bolton. There's a Salafi Masjid in Bolton. There'll be a one-day conference there. Inshallah, Abu Khatija, Abu Hakim, uh, Abu Iyad, everybody will be there, Inshallah, for that one too. So that's on the 23rd, Saturday 23rd. But before that, Saturday 16th, a mini conference in Leeds for the evening, perhaps 4 or 5 p.m. or something starting for the evening. Maybe two lectures, some questions, answers. So you should try to attend those events also.